Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Branch sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to B-O-L-L and branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. The Stack Waddy game, which you try and work out which of these um, uh, musical aggregations from a certain genre are the figments of my imagination, and which ones are real? Are you ready? Far away, go on. The category is reggae groups, okay? Oh, Reg- right, okay. Any particular period or just reggae, reggae groups? Reggae groups. groups. Classic reggae groups. Okay. okay, okay. Okay, and here I've got six names. Do you want to write them down? Yeah, go on. Okay. The Gay Lads, the Paragons... The Pioneers, the Tamlins, the Tartans, and the Rankers. Wow. Hang on. So it's the Gay Lads, the Paragons, the Pioneers, the Tamlins, mm-hmm. the Tartans, mm-hmm. and what and was the, the last one? The Rankers. The Rankers. Wow, so which of those... That's tricky. It's just been plucked from my fertile imagination. The gay lads, uh, you wouldn't have made up. That's a scar. I'm, I'm saying that's a scar group from the early 60s. Uh, nice, innocent, amusing, upbeat name. Paragons and pioneers will come back to you. The Tamlins, again, is not made up. That sounds, that sounds, uh, that sounds authentic to me. The Tartans, I'm suggesting, is also real. There'll be some kind of weird Scottish connection. The Rankers, uh, I think, is also genuine. It's between the Paragons and the Pioneers. And I've heard of one, and I think it's the Paragons. Dave, I'm saying that you made up the Pioneers. No, 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 no. No, no, no. 
Pioneers, quite well, pioneers, I think, were the people who gave us long shot kick the bucket. Oh, good God, they did. Oh, for goodness <laughs> sake. And, uh, That's probably an appalling other, era. And probably other racehorse themed. They did, the pioneers. So the ones I made out of the Gay Lads Real, Paragons Real, Pioneers Real, Tam Lynn's Real, you know, which is extraordinary. It's it is. As, it's an old English folk song, isn't it? So how many were made up as two? One of them was one is one. made up. Yeah, the one on. that's made up is the Rankers. The Rankers. Okay. God, that's terrible error about the pioneers. <laughs> a pu- public apology, of course. I think I have that record somewhere. Okay. All you. right. Let me try you on uh, these are psychedelic American psychedelic groups of the mid to late sixties. Okay. Right. Five okay. of them. Yeah. Five of them. One is real. Uh, sorry, one is fictitious and four are real. Mm-hmm. Okay. Liberty Cap. Oh my god. Yeah. Bubble Puppy. <laughs> yeah. The Golden Dawn. Yeah. Frumious Bandersnatch. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And Ant Trip Ceremony. That's Liberty Cap, Bubble Puppy, Golden Dawn, Frumious Bandersnatch. An and trip ceremony. Over three, to you. Three more from them after the news. Um, oh God. Well, I've not heard of any of them. Um, they don't even ring a distant bell. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna proceed on the basis that which is the one that you might have made up. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I, I can only imagine that the only one you could make possibly make up is Golden Dawn. Oh, right. Okay. No, Golden Dawn is real. Oh, okay. Right. Golden Dawn are real. They're a band from Austin, Texas in 1966. I hadn't heard of them either, nor had I heard of Frumious Bandersnatch, which is such an obvious name, really, isn't it? Somebody must have done something from Jabberwocky around that time, don't you think? Oh, is that what it is? Oh, yeah, it's from from Jabberwocky. I mean, why isn't there a band called the Slithy Toves? Yes. Gar and Gimble. Sounds like... It's just a... Sounds like Spiggy Topes and the Turds. It is slightly Topes. The private eyes. It is, absolutely. And Trip Ceremony, also uh, genuine. Yeah, they're an American psychedelic rock band from Logan in Utah, 1967. As were Bubble Puppy. Bubble Puppy from 67 to 72. They had a top 10, top 20 hit, Hot Smoke and Sassafras. So the one I made up is also the name of a magic mushroom. So that was the it was the clue that I thought might sound authentic, which is Liberty Cap. Oh wow! So there you go. Well, you win. So no, you obviously, we both. Yeah. You obviously, you obviously know more about magic mushrooms than I <laughs> than <laughs> I thought you did. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's not my specialist subject at all. So um, well, anyway, that's uh, that's a great stride forward for um, broadcasting podcasting again <laughs> this week. Uh, the uh, the snack body game. Uh, so what else has been happening this week? Charlie Over Daniels. Go on. Charlie, Daniels. Charlie Daniels died, which is an amazing story, isn't it? Why should I laugh? I'm not laughing. No, we're not Charlie. laughing. No, Charlie is just a really interesting character because, you know, you forget that these guys are, I suppose, infinitely more right-wing than you remember that they were. You know, I mean, Charlie Daniels, big pal of the Southern Rock circuit, wasn't he? Did some extraordinary things, you know, played on a couple of Dylan albums, I think, three Dylan albums. Oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah, he played bass and guitar on things like New Morning. And, if I remember rightly, was in the touring band with Leonard Cohen when they played the Isle of Wight Festival. So for that incredible performance by Leonard Cohen, Cohen is clearly absolutely 
stunned out of his brain. He just claimed to be on Mandrax, didn't he? Oh, really? Liberty I Cap. don't know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there in the background, I think is, is, you'll find Charlie Daniels playing the fiddle. But so yeah, he, very interesting he, guy because you know you seem like such a caricature, really. You've kind of you know, I'm born in the 1930s, check shirts, you know, um, you know, the kind of uh, cowboy hat, chewed tobacco. Yes, he used to chew tobacco, and he was on the Latterman show famously about i don't know 15 20 years ago and showed uh, letterman how to chew tobacco oh, gave him some, which is bizarre isn't it i know i know have you ever chewed tobacco no no that sounds a, no it's, it's a horrible idea doesn't it dear? awful but all those quite they're, they're, i suppose what you know somebody born that era you, you'd call them kind of patriotic but it did seem it did seem extraordinary. The record's <laughs> well, like, it's, this, this ain't no rag, it's a flag. He did, he did a song in 1990 called Simple Man, which is a big country hit. And it was about the, uh, it called for the, for the lynching of drug dealers and sex offenders. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, oh, yeah. really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Without due process of law, my goodness. I know. Grief. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, well, you can never go wrong in America with a song about a flag, can you really? because they, they are utterly flag-obsessed, more than anybody else on God's earth. Um, but, uh, I mean, he's obviously best known, I suppose, to, what is it, The Devil Went Down to Georgia and all that. Didn't he play with the Allman Brothers? He did, I think. I've yeah, got a feeling played, he played He certainly played with Marshall Tucker Band. He was with I, I was oh, right. all that lot. Yeah. Anyway, and so he was, he was known as one of those kind of, uh, one of those select group of uh, musicians who were kind of welcome in the contemporary White House alongside Kid Rock um, and uh, who else? Uh, oh, God, I've gone blank. Kanye Kid- West? Probably no. Not oh, God, can you, well, the can you, can you West has recently disavowed Donald Yes, he Trump. has. He's, he's washed his hands in, in trouble. In somewhat confusing circumstances. Anyway, there were, there were, there were so few uh, rock stars likely to get an invitation to the White House. That uh, that Charlie Daniels was quite prominent among them, but but and he died. What was he? Eighty three or something? He's eighty three. He's eighty three. Born in nineteen thirty seven. But the story going round on the internet, presumably with absolutely no basis in fact, was that he he'd made a deathbed conversion to Islam. <laughs> this got quite, quite a lot of traction on the internet for a day. It's extraordinary. But that has to be one of those examples of uh, of that convention whereby if somebody dies, there's a race to get on and hack into their Wikipedia site and alter their uh, their their kind of CV with one crucial and ridiculous fact in the hope that it'll turn up in obituaries. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's what... The, was this mentioned in any, any obituaries? I haven't read any obituaries. Um, you know, it's kind of... The internet is the obituary nowadays, isn't it, really? It, it, gets, there, it gets there before the official obituaries have, um, have done their work. So, uh, you know, it's a rather black humorous, uh, blackly humorous... Full stop on the uh, on the Charlie Daniels story. Um, no, it is. There aren't that many right wing musicians. Are there? I was trying to remember who the famous ones were. The right, the one, very few people go out and nail their colours to that particular mask. Johnny Ramone, you remember, declared "God bless President Bush" at the Hall oh, of Fame he? in two thousand and two, which was really unusual, really. Especially to remember the Ramones, you know. Phil well, Collins, I think, said he'd leave the country if Labour got elected in 1997. I mean, apart from that, there's very few. Mor- Morrissey, a bit of him called right. Ted Nugent, Ted Nugent, Ted Nugent, shooting deer and generally being a kind of redneck 
good old boy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. it's kind of there's right wing or right wing. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. They're different. And uh, and in the world of popular music, the um, you know they tend to have a fairly broad definition of right wing. Yeah. I.e. everybody not quite like us. You know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the way they, the way it's looked at, and uh, yeah, I mean it. it, it it's still interesting to me that, uh, that you know, the opening track of Revolver <laughs> is Taxman, you know, which is a, a song about paying too much tax. Nobody would be doing that nowadays. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. <laughs> Although I remember feeling huge sympathy for them at the time because I thought that was absolutely appalling, that the Beatles, who deserved, you know, as much money as possible, were getting, <laughs> were getting ruinously punished. Well, because the rate, the rate of uh, rate of tax and uh, surtax, super tax, or whatever in those days was absolutely, m- you know, mind boggling. It was monumental. It was in the ninety percent and so forth. Yeah, um, but uh, it wasn't controversial to say it at all in nineteen sixty-six. No, it wasn't. It, it would now be the single most controversial thing you can say. Although, as we're going to go on to discuss. There are more controversial things that you can discuss in popular music nowadays. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Kasabian, yeah? I don't know an awful lot about Kasabian, um, but they're very popular. But obviously we've all learnt a lot in the last week about Tom Meehan, uh, singer of Kasabian, who was... Well, he's pled guilty, hasn't he? To kind of... Oh, it's a sad old story. I mean, I think he's obviously been, you know, a bit, you know, been going on for some time. It's, 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 a, it's a domestic uh, domestic violence charge. It's a really, really sad story. And I felt really sorry for that band because they were saying, we've worked so hard for 23 years and we're in a position where we're, you know, set up at this particular level and we had a great future ahead of us. But, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's also interesting, isn't it, about how attitudes, you know, our attitudes towards people in bands. What's, you know... He, 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 out came the 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 uh, announcement. It was kind of like a corporate, a corporate yes. press release. Don't you think? He that said was he was stepping that... down by mutual consent from the band. Yes. Yeah, and uh, whatever you know, happened to mutual, uh, you know, musical and personal differences. I know. Uh, I thought that was interesting. You know, it was a bit like sort of uh, he was spending more time with his wife and family or whatever, or, or that his his values were not consistent with uh, those that fans of. <laughs> have a right to expect or whatever it just he was off off brand sort of thing i mean that's the interesting uh, thing you know to me that uh, it's very difficult i mean it's really difficult in a band isn't it you know because as you say they've worked all that time to build up whatever they built up which is is quite considerable yeah it is and then kind of at a stroke it's gone isn't it it seems to be uh which is you know, it's irrational, really. I mean, because obviously he's guilty of whatever he's guilty of, you know, and, they, and they've decided he's left the band, and, and fair enough. Um, but that shouldn't really kind of, you know, it shouldn't really affect Kasabian any more than if, you know, if a footballer was caught, found guilty of doing the same kind of thing, or a prominent football club would be asked to leave the football club the football club wouldn't suffer as a consequence, would it? People wouldn't stop supporting whoever it was. No, they would because say of that. bad stuff happens and uh, he'll yeah. be replaced. I mean, he. I mean, they could obviously carry on. He could re- replace him. But half the problem is he's a singer. You know, if it was See, the drummer or the that, bass player. That, you that's, know. that's the thing that strikes me, you know, that, that it kind of, 
it, it makes you realize what a strange, irrational thing kind of uh, musical loyalty is. You know what I mean? That it's, it's, partly, it's partly about music, but also almost as much it's about loyalty, isn't it? Yeah. It's about, they're my mates, those guys up there. You know, they kind of, they represent me. And the closer to the front they are, the more they represent me. Yeah. And, um, and therefore, I could, I could deal with, you know, if, if, if the drummer or whatever was shuffled away or was replaced by somebody else. But I, I find it you more difficult notice. with the face of the group. You no, know? well, it's the singer of the group is the, is the window through which you enter the whole experience, isn't it? And so uh, that's, that's been you know, severely tarnished, you know. But it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just interesting because it made me think about, you know, rock stars who might have been fired if, they, if they'd been in bands in the past. You know, John Martin. If John Martin had been in a band and behaved like John Martin, do you know what I mean? Oh, well, well we were talking to Graham Thompson about we this, the, we... this week, who's written, Graham's written a, a splendid uh, biography of, uh, of John Martin, which is be going out there as the next word in your ear and will be available for you to hear and see uh, quite soon um but what comes out of that book is that is john martin was clearly kind of guilty of domestic violence wasn't he uh, yeah. and and not just domestic violence i mean violence generally you know oh yeah there's one point where he takes on 12 people in a birmingham restaurant I mean, kind of uh, touchingly, because they racially insult the waiter. But he takes on 12 people, nonetheless, yeah. knocks two of them unconscious. And you just think, this is something. And his whole kind of utterly self-interested, um, you know, narcissistic kind of you know, chaotic way of dealing with the world. is one manager who, who eventually says, I've had enough with him. I can't work with him any longer. And asked, when asked why, he says, he's just broken two of my ribs. You think, well, Fair if you're in a band, if you're in a band with somebody you behave like that, it would put a strain on relations, wouldn't it? Warren Zevon's another. We did a podcast about Warren Zevon not that long ago. And, oh my God, you know the the, the 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 guns and the drugs and the booze and the just utter debauchery and you know I mean, it would be you couldn't live with it. But oh, but, but but it's you know there have been cases of this happening in bands. You know, quite prominent bands have been. Brian Jones, you know, yeah, was, yeah. was very unpleasant to a lot of women in his life. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they eventually, they, they just wanted to edge him out. Now, fortunately, by fortunately, if you like, by then, he'd rendered himself so ineffective by substance abuse and whatever that they had good musical reasons to get him out of the group as well. I think yeah, no, also, he had to concede that they probably had a point. But, 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 but there was also the problem that by then he was just a prick. A complete uh, prick. And uh, God, what an extraordinary guy. They looked up to him so much when they met him. Didn't they? Yeah. I mean, they were impressed by the fact that, if I remember rightly, he became a dad when he was 17. Yeah. I think possibly twice in the same year, actually. He had three kids by the age of 19. He had five kids by the age of 23. I remember Keith and Mick being really impressed, actually, because they'd never met anybody of their age group who, who, was, a, who was a parent, you know. But very soon that, uh, that, that began to wear off when they saw all the other aspects of his, of his character. Yeah. And so it's just one of those... I mean, if you think back, you know, if you... <laughs> I'll, ch- I'll throw this challenge out to everybody... If you think back to to your kind of, I don't know, your mates at college or when you were 18, 19 or whatever, your social circle, which is, it's a long time ago. 
but it will probably have turned out to include somebody that you really wouldn't want to have anything to do with nowadays. You know what I mean? There, there, there will be somebody yep. who was guilty of something or, you know, went over the edge or they just will be. And whereas, you know, you exclude them from your life, you have done that gradually over a period of time. If you're in a pop group, you can't do that. Well, you're wedded to them, aren't you? Because you're, you're wedded to, you're to them. You're married to them. I mean, that's the extraordinary thing, isn't it? It either works on the inside or it works on the outside, as it were, to the audience, or ideally both. But you can't... It, it changes the equation. It changes the dynamics so much to have to get rid of them, doesn't it? It's really hard. No matter which member it is, it's and still also, not quite the original band. And also, if you have a kind of a member who is unstable... Yeah, let's just put it that way. Um, the pressures of the of ups and downs of success are going to make them even more unstable because they're, they're, they're coming under pressures. Most of us don't have to come under, you know, which is the, you know, the what happens in the music business is, is either nobody wants to know you or everybody wants to know you. There's nothing yeah. in between. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're dealing with, terrible black rejection or mad acceptance and both those things are equally difficult to do they're really and the, and the worst aspect of that is it often goes from one to the other and back to the former very very quickly yeah which is why they always say that you know it's so hard being the person who's in the relationship with the person on their way up oh. because the moment they're on the way up they're lost to you because the whole world wants to talk to them and the moment they're back on the way down, they're sitting at home moping about the fact that nobody loves them. So you only ever get to see the bad side of it and don't really get a share of the, of the good side. No, no. Which sure is really, true. really tricky. But, and, you know, so these people are... And, and it's always, you know, musicians will tell you that they're a nightmare when they come off the road because, you know, they, they just can't decompress. They can't go back into normal life because actually, although they may be relieved that the tedium of the touring is over, they kind of miss it at the same time, you know, because it provides a rhythm to the day, which is just gone when all you have to deal with is put the rubbish out, you know, and do the washing up and I take can't the kids to school and all that kind I of I know, thing. going from a kind of final night at Madison Square Garden to being back, you know, 24 hours later going to Tesco or something, yeah. you know what I mean, in Crouch yeah. That must be so hard. Musicians have told me repeatedly when they come off tour that their body starts to react at about six o'clock, you know, they think they should be doing a sound check or whatever. They're getting pumped up to go on stage. Adrenaline is firing through their system. And then there's no gig to play. So you're sitting at home with the kids and, the, and you know, you know, and you've got to somehow kind of deal with that and calm down. It must, that must be so hard. So none, you know, none of this is obviously to excuse anything that uh, Tom Meehan may have done. I suppose it's just to reflect on the fact he's surprising. It doesn't happen more often. I know. You know, think of, the, think of the people, think of other people in bands who, who actually were fired from a band. I mean, there was, there was Sid Barrett was eventually booted out. Well, say, well, yeah, they, they just decided they couldn't they deal with him. They just didn't pick him up. They just they didn't pick him up. They didn't pick him up. Because he frightened them. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because that, that kind of that kind of thing can happen. Um, 
Ozzy Osbourne, I think, at some stage was was was, was yeah, they choked him out because he overdid it, and then they brought him back. They brought him back. The rest, they went quite the same without him. But I mean, Ozzy, I think, I think he went to Chokey before. I'm not sure. I didn't read as one of your books actually. Didn't he go to jail for nicking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was before like blank. Yeah, and his dad wouldn't pay the fine. Yes, he's had an old old strict, you know, Victorian parent. I'm not paying your fine, son. Go and do your bird. How different. The, the, the case that always, I always imagined must have been so difficult to deal with in a band was, was Dennis Wilson. Dennis Wilson, who'd been an absolute reprobate from the word go, hadn't he? I mean, absolutely yeah. absurd. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Wilson, if I remember rightly, at the age of 36, took up with um, a girl called Sean Marie Love. Do you remember that? Who was 16. <laughs> They eventually got married. They had a child. Wasn't she Mike Love's? She was Mike Love's, Love's daughter. Daughter. So he was. She was the daughter of his first cousin. Who interestingly is his oh. first cousin. Let's not forget his first cousin and fellow band member Mike Love. And he takes up with her. And they have a child. I mean, that must have been so difficult to deal with. Oh my god. And, uh, and David Crosby. David Crosby. The kind of oh my lord. Constantly, kind of free. I think arrested at one point on, on for, for for possession of firearms that were illegal possession of firearms. I, I have to think, you know, how terrible must David Crosby be to have finally alienated Graham Nash? Graham Nash, who appears to me to have saintly patience, absolutely saintly, and uh, you know has been kind of married to him since nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, and has finally had to say, "I just can't deal with this guy." You think that must be really tough. He must have really pushed you, you know. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of this just relates to the fact that they have such long relationships with each other. Yeah, See, even Kasabian, who I think of as came along yesterday, <laughs> like twenty-three years, twenty-three years. I know, no, it's astonishing, you know. The, the, if the Beatles had stayed together 23 years, they would have yeah. killed each other. Yeah. You know, something terrible would have happened. You know? Yeah. A lot of it's just to do with that kind of, they're, they're locked together. Um, Rick Danko. Wouldn't he have been hard to be in a band with? Rick Danko. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine you go to Big Pink and you start to write the songs and you then decide to record your first albums and they're really successful and the band are ready to go out and tour America. And Rick Danko then just crashed his car, didn't he? Just full of drugs, I mean, finished yeah, up yeah. in a ditch, broke, I don't know, broke his neck or something, or broke his, broke his back, I think, I can't remember now. But the, the whole career of the band was was derailed by so here's my, unavailability. Here's my question. <coughs> have, we re- here, have we reached the stage now where we're going to see bands or record companies or whatever having HR departments? You're right, know, so you, you'd be sort of vetted before you came in. You'd have well, to see, sign a contract. D- you don't have a contract. That's the odd thing. You know, a lot, they'll have contracts with record companies. Yeah. Probably in a lot of cases, they don't have a contract with each other. Yeah. And if they did, it would have been drafted when they were 17 and desperate to get a session on the radio or whatever. So it sort of wouldn't mean anything anyway. But... But it's like you said about the announcement about him leaving the group was kind of like a company announcement. It was, you know, inconsistent with the high values that this company, you know, likes. To yeah, represent. yeah, yeah, that's and, right. And of course, it's, it's now 
at his worst because companies now are, are forever making statements about, you know, we're all in favor, you know, Black Lives Matter, whatever it is, tick, 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 tick. You know, nothing makes any difference how they're doing any business, you know, but everybody has to be seen to, to represent you, to stand by the right things. And bands may, may get to the stage where they have to make this overt, you know what I mean? That these are the brand values of this of this band going forward. You know, do you do you sign up to all those yeah. things? And uh, if you if you in any way transgress, do you understand that you know your your career get, is in peril? You're going to get you know a written warning, a verbal yeah, warning. that's right, a verbal warning. That's right, you'll be put on probation. You see, <laughs> this is what's going to happen. Three months meeting to discuss how and, it's going. Annual reviews. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You get you in there and say, how do you feel it's going? <laughs> you know, when, when do you, when see, do you see yourself? <laughs> when do you see yourself in, in, in two months' time? Because I tell you where we see you. <laughs> Not oh, in this band. Dear, dear, oh, Lord. Dear. So talking of, talking of bands involved in strife, have you followed the story of Lady Antebellum? Yes, well, I, I, in as much as they've also had to change their name due to an association with slavery, but it was the same story as the, the Dixie Chicks, wasn't it? Well, kind of. Is Lady Antebellum a, a kind of countryish, modern country pop out outfit? Who I was thought I was thought at the time, you know, years ago, when I first started hearing this name, I thought that's a weird name. That's it's. I mean, it's it's not very euphonious apart from anything else, you know. It's not. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I'd say it looks odd. But antebellum is obviously expression for it's certainly in American culture before the war, you know. So they talk about the antebellum South, which conjures up visions of white mansions and plantations, yeah, and all, yeah. that, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so they started off with this name. And uh, and they uh, and they started thinking about changing it some while ago, but have have suddenly decided that they've really got to change it, and so they've changed it. They want to change it to Lady A. Uh, get rid of the antebellum word because of its associations. But now they find themselves in a lawsuit against a musician who was already trading as Lady A, and so. She's wanting, you know, I did ten million dollars or whatever to take the name away. Fair enough. She knows they're desperate. She knows they're in a corner. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, and I just and I looked into this, you know, that how did they come up with this name? And they were doing a photo shoot early in their career, on the veranda of some mansion or somewhere in the south. And somebody said, "Oh, it's got a real antebellum." vibe to it and so they thought oh that's a good idea for a name and apparently they didn't know the associations of the word which that can't be true was a pretty terrible pretty damning indictment of the american educational system it's, if they don't it's a damning know. indictment all round isn't it yeah. how could you not i also it's such a curious word wouldn't you be naturally naturally inquiring about yeah. what it meant <laughs> um but, but but there they go, you know. So I mean, it, it may be maybe wonder if there are any other groups out there looking nervously at their names of old associations. I mean, we were talking to we were talking to talking to Will Birch, weren't we, this week? About uh, I think the name of Stephen Stills Manassas came up. 
Yeah. And Manassas were named after the Battle of the Civil War. First Battle of the Civil War, won by the Confederacy. Um, You know, so, you know, I mean, there was even a group, there was a funk group in the 70s and 80s, I think, called Slave, which is assigned to Atlantic, I think they were. With with presumably black musicians? Yeah, I think they were. Yeah, they were multiracial, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I can't entirely remember. Uh, and so, you know, all that all that stuff's getting frantically reviewed in the light of current circumstances. And in the, uh, in the light and, of a state agent saying you can no longer refer to a master bedroom. Okay. The word master implies, uh, you know, um, you know, ruling class. Oh, really? <laughs> Good God. Oh, no. Oh, dear, oh, dear. So, you know, and uh, that's just this year. It'll be something else next year. Um, you know, so um, names are a bit of hostage to fortune, aren't they, really? I, suppose, I don't know what the learning of this is. You've got to pick a name that's kind of completely uncontroversial, can't possibly be controversial in any sense. Yeah, the Dixie Hummingbirds were in a bad position, weren't they? <laughs> well, the, no, Dixie, the well, the Dixie Hummingbirds, who were still going, a great venerable, uh, you know, uh, black gospel quartet, I think, Um and they 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 were going 30, 40 years ago, and are still going to this day. And I don't think there's any plans to change their name to the Hummingbird. The Hummingbird, like the Dixie Chicks, rather unfortunately changed the name to the Chicks, which sounds bad. Oh, I mean, geez. admittedly, it's a name ordained by women, but it still doesn't sound. The Chicks is the worst possible name. You can't you can't see it. No. You can't see it doing them any good. Um, but that's the way it is. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. I've got a hot TV tip, Mark. And oh. you know what my hot TV tips all have in common? Is they're really cold TV tips. Because they're usually things that were on the TV about a year ago that I've only just caught up with. But last night I watched on Now TV... The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandley. Oh, right, go on. Which is the two-part documentary about the great, late great Gary Shandling, the comedian, comic actor, made by Judd Apatow, who was a kind of friend oh, made of his. Up and, and was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was brought along by, by Gary Shandling when he was quite young. You know, he, Gary Shandling really mentored him, helped him into the business and so forth. And so this is obviously his kind of personal you know, kind of payback, really, you know, to make this this film, this five hours, I think it is, about the story of Gary Shandling. And it is really interesting, utterly absorbing, very funny, as you can imagine, because it's got loads of clips of Gary Shandling and loads of other comedians. And also very, very moving in that he never, clearly never got over the fact that he, his elder brother died when he was... Of cystic fibrosis, I think, when he was when he was about twelve years old, yeah, and, the, and his mother never processed the the loss and so forth, and so this haunted Gary Shandling all throughout his life. And uh, Gary Shandling, he starts the film by showing getting this this just bit of clip that obviously was shot before Gary Shandling died, where he he introduces Judd Apatow to his drawer full of. Of, of notes, he, lit, he opens this massive great drawer and says, it's all in here. 
and he gives Judd Apatow all these notebooks. And so what Gary Shandling did throughout his life was he wrote down absolutely everything, every idea for a joke, for a, for a program or whatever. And also he wrote to himself, memos to himself, what he should be thinking, how he felt. And so it's an absolute yes. treasure trove for somebody making a documentary. And also just loads of it was filmed. Uh, you know, hanging about in back rooms in clubs with you know, Jerry Seinfeld and so forth. You know, when Ricky Gervais came to his house, all this stuff, it's all the notes. I cannot recommend it too highly. It's absolutely fascinating. And of course, at the core of it is, I don't know if you, you, you the his great show, I think, was the Larry Sanders show, which was a kind yeah. of with comedy uh, based on on a chat show, on a, a late night chat show, uh, and um, and his actual girlfriend was in the Larry Sanders show, who was utterly devoted to him and wanted nothing more than to get married and to have children, and he just couldn't bring himself to commit, you know. And so when he broke it off with her, he fired her from the series straight away. Oh God! <laughs> and it's, and she's in the film and, you know, she's very kind of forgiving and so forth. But it's, boy, is it moving, you know. That's incredible. And, and it, it brings home to you that kind of people trying to live some kind of normal life while living this utterly abnormal life at the same time. You yeah. know what I mean? And um, it, it, honestly, it's utterly brilliant and it's full of great gags. That's fantastic. Uh, you'd, you'd absolutely love it. Uh, On the subject of great gags and American oh. comedians, uh, do you remember the old, I was talking to someone about the other day, do you remember the old uh, Nicholas Parsons, Richard Pryor story? Go on. <laughs> I always love this story. That, that, uh, that Nicholas Parsons was a Farsi and, and uh, Richard Pryor had just died. You know, and you remember in terrible circles, I mean, Richard Pryor kind of freebasing, wasn't it? It was just well, yeah, 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 he did all you. sorts of things, yeah, all sorts of terrible things, you know. And um, I think it's all very complicated. I think wasn't he born? I think his mother might have been a prostitute. Oh yeah, yeah, the details is yeah. born in this extraordinary yeah. you know, kind of whorehouse, you know. Yeah. Anyway, the guy, this guy goes up to to Nicholas Parsons and he's telling him all about you know Richard Pryor, and and. You know, in incredible detail, the drug abuse, the 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 the, 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 the whole house, the, the the whole life that he grew up in, you know. And Parsons is absolutely just knocked out by this. He just doesn't know how to process his information. He seems to be mortified, you know. And uh, a bit later in the party, somebody goes up to him. And Parsons, let's not forget, was you know in his late eighties at this stage and a little hard of hearing. <laughs> somebody goes up to him and he says, uh, "So how's it going, Nicholas?" He said, "Oh, it's all right, but I mean, yeah." I, I mean, have you heard about dear old Dickie Briars? <laughs> I know, I know, he's different. Imagine you sat there for half an hour at a party thinking that Richard Briars, a man you'd known from the good life and all these other suburban <laughs> comedies, and actually had a you know prostitute for a mother and a bit of died end. after a series of disasters involving free basic on aeroplanes. Do you know what makes that gag work? Which Gary Shandley would have been the first one to tell you. It's the word dicky. 
It's sticky. It's, it's, the, it's the idea that he's, to us it's Richard Briars, but to the people in the business, it's sticky. It's sticky. Dear it's old, dear dicky. old friend. It's a dear anybody, old chum. Anybody who's dicky, you know, think of the dickies. Dicky Attenborough, you know. Yeah, exactly. Dicky Bird. Yes. They're, all, they're kind of all, all sweet old buffers, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> About as far from free base as you can possibly yeah. get. <laughs> oh, um, that's brilliant. So yeah, the the uh, the the Gary uh, Gary Shandling thing. If you can find that's it, that's worth seeing. I cannot recommend it. To yeah, you yeah, yeah. that sounds really, really good. Absolutely extraordinary. Uh, you know, to see a documentary that genuinely gets the story of somebody right from the beginning, right through, is kind of rare because obviously most documentaries make there's a, there's a kind of promotional element of most. Uh, of most documentaries, isn't they? They usually yeah. they try to get you to be interested in the next tour or the next film or whatever. Whereas this, obviously, doesn't have that kind of agenda. No, that's true. That's what have true. you been watching on the television? Well, we watched the um, we watched Mrs. America last night. Did you see any of that? Oh no, Kate Blanchett, that? fantastic. Oh. oh, it's fantastic. Kate Blanchett as this uh, as this kind of American. Uh, political activist against the women's lib movement in the 90s. It's based on a kind of true story. She's a phenomenal actress, I think. All right, okay. So that's been good. Oh, well, uh, I we saw that, a tiny bit I, of the, the, the Kemp brothers. <laughs> you wouldn't oh, have seen right. this. No, the I'm... Kemp brothers. I don't know why we just got a bit fascinated in the story about that. It's actually, I, you know, I'm very fond of the Kemp brothers. I think right. they're all right, don't you? Right. Yeah, Gary yeah. and Martin, they do this yeah. a spoof documentary, two of them. And they're such good actors, they can carry it off, you know. Very funny, very light and knockabout and dark. It's good, yeah. You see, this is how I approach television. I wait until it's been through the filter of people I know. You know what I mean? So people, if people are still telling me about it in a month's time, I'll watch it. I go, what, exactly? Um, you know, but before then, before then, I don't. Things just take ages to get through to me. I started, I started watching The Bureau. Have you seen The Bureau, which is the French series about... Uh, it's kind of the, like the French Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, really. Oh, no, I it, saw you tweeting about that. Yeah, yeah. It's very good, but then I, I got to episode 11 and I, I saw there was a scene I found too upsetting. I couldn't go any longer. Couldn't go any further. I watched... give, me the, give me the basic circumstances without giving me the gruesome de- details. What was well, this, is, this is how cleverly tension works. Um, sorry, spoiler alert if anybody yeah. wanted to watch this. Um, there is a woman, a uh, middle aged woman, working as a kind of secretary for a, um, a kind of uh, a Syrian spy master, sinister security chief. And she is um, persuaded by the French intelligence that she's got to place a tracking mechanism in his shoes. And so she waits and takes off his shoes to say his prayers or whatever and changes them over and whatever. And in the next episode, it becomes clear that he's discovered this. And so he calls her in and he, he fires her and he makes her go out of the room wearing his shoes. She Ooh, puts on the men's shoes. I'm sorry. I found it the that's most horrible. chilling thing. I, there's nothing else. That's unsettling. It, that isn't it? Yeah, it really is. That's cruel. <laughs> yeah, that's. I remember having this discussion, but sorry, it's really, really interesting tangent. This, you know, Rear Window, the Hitchcock film, Rear. Yeah, Window, sorry, quite which I love. Fantastic. Rear 
And I've always, you know, when, I, when we were on holiday with the kids when we were younger, when they were younger, used to sit in restaurants late at night, and I used to tell them the plots of Hitchcock films, just tell them the idea of Hitchcock films, you know, without going into the gore or anything like that. Just this, this is how tension works. This is how suspense works. And uh, our youngest saw Rear Window once, and she says it just found it too frightening. Just couldn't bear to watch it again. And I pointed out to her, there is only one thing that's directly frightening in Rear Window. And that's the moment when Roman Burr looks up at the window and realises right. he's been watched. And sees. That's the... all. That's right. That's all. And all that tension is derived from leading up to that and leading away from that. Nothing That's excessive right. happens in that film Because you feel he's looking at you, don't oh, you? Because you're the person looking through the rear window into that apartment, seeing what's going on, and he's looking directly at you. And you feel it's going to be within seconds that he's going to be around there, yes. ashing on, breaking your door down. So I think that's that's how suspense you know, works. In the, you know, and that's how chilling things genuinely work. You know, it's not about piling on the special effects or anything like that. You know, it's just about clicking a switch in your mind where you go, oh, my God, terrible things may ensue from this, from this particular moment of the thing. So anyway, I hope I haven't spoiled it for anybody who hasn't seen it. It's terribly good. It's terribly good. I sure I may eventually fantastic. I may eventually get the courage to watch the final two episodes of the first series. But they went on and did other series. It's very, very good indeed. So uh yeah. So those are our TV tips. Those are our hot TV hot tips. TV tips. <laughs> uh hot This is America, which you've probably already seen anyway, but it's yeah. good. Hot musical tips. Go I'm, on. Try, I'm trying to find it. I, sorry, we we're talking to Graham Thompson yesterday about uh which as i say we recorded about his book about john martin and god that was an interesting conversation it was really interesting oh I've my been, lord the john martin lo- story is phenomenal isn't it i've been playing loads of old john martin records uh and uh, and the one that i can't, can't put my hand on right now which i i played and played twice yesterday actually is one world uh which oh god it's really good which he recorded in jamaica didn't he I think he probably did. And I there's a Lee Scratch Berry track on it. That yeah, one yeah, yeah. About, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's uh, that. That's very good. Um, so what else have we got to do? We got to do. Have we got any Patreon? We got some new patrons. Uh, new patrons, yeah. please welcome to the fold the following people: Sean Campbell. Yes. Clapping the Jeff mental Reese. arena. Thank yeah. you very much. Stephen Clark. Paula Gallagher. Have a drink. Yeah, Colin Morrison. Oh, excellent. Graham okay. Drummond. Okay. It's always Alan, nice to have them. Alan Williams. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. Richard Kelly, Dean Roderick, William Thornton, and Mike Dunn. Thank you so much. Well, it's very nice. And they all be and they'll in- be uh, possibly joining us in the uh, in the quiz, which is on Friday evenings at six o'clock. Uh, but also possibly taking part in our future word in your ear. Uh, recordings and uh, and putting their questions to the to the uh, guest of the uh, of the recording if they want to and taking part in lots of other things uh, which will be uh, disclosed somewhere down the line i suppose uh so that's about it for this week uh we'll uh, see you on the ice i don't know what that means <laughs> I like the sound of it. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hey.